Coming up next, the booking reads The Witness for the Prosecution. Welcome to the booking. My name is Nathan Armisen. I'm your humble and obedient host, joined by my good friends. We've got Brandon Chastine over there, the scholar who's a baller of reading. Hey, 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 Brandon. Hey, Nathan. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Nathan. If there's a murder committed of someone that you're friends with, then this podcast could be your ally. <coughs> it, or your, yeah, your, you're not your ally. My alibi. Your alibi. Yeah. Yeah. My alibi. As I pull up multiple computers. As here. you pull up multiple <laughs> computers. Brandon looks like the tech guy in a bad hacker movie from the 90s right now. Yep. Surrounded by laptops. Well, Brandon, why don't you introduce the other member of our triumvirate of awesomeness? It is the one and only, the pastor, 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 who's a master, 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 master of reading, 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 Jacob Mensel. Hey, what's up? Da, 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 da. Yeah, he can he can add those effects Charge. in post, right? Yeah. Who says we didn't? I mean, they presumably sounded so professional that people just assume I added those effects in post. Then we'll do our Jake, our classic Jake outfit check. He's got the PF flyers. I, I believe that's what those are. Yep. He's got the jeans, slightly faded. He's got the pullover, the green, uh, like, um, what would we say, olive green pullover? Sure. What would that be in Crayola terms? Nah, it wouldn't be olive green. Olive green would be uglier. That's a good, it's, it's almost a forest green, but it's like a diet forest green. Kind of sage, maybe? Sage, maybe. There you go. Jake was a painter, everybody. The sage Jake dresses in sage. Right. Our sage wears sage. If Jake's sage, Brandon, uh-huh. which one of us is parsley and which one of us is thyme and who's rosemary? Well, Ro- Ro- rosemary is Ben. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. That's the answer. So am I parsley or thyme? I think you're parsley. <laughs> And I think I'm time. <laughs> you put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. I think you're, you are you take time to give us great context, as you're about to do. Okay. And you're just a useless garnish. I'm just a useless <laughs> sprig of nothingness that you put on the side of the plate, <laughs> ostensibly to make it prettier. That's what you do with parsley. Is parsley the one that you do that? Yeah. 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 Or as asparagus sometimes serves that purpose. No, like asparagus is always worth eating. Mm-hmm. I have my doubts about that. But you get to come first in the list. That's right. This is the dawning of the age of asparagus, age of asparagus. All right, what's that sound? Hey, it's the sound of the guns going off, indicating baggage check. Nope. Indicating, what's the name of your segment? The Contextual Texan. The Contextual Texan. Yeah, the part of the show. Nathan? Brandon, Brandon of course, comes from context. Brandon, wow. I come from context. Brandon Bill. comes from context. He's going to provide some much needed Texas. Yeah, I come from the great land of context. Right, I'm I moved off. to sanity. Bill from the country of context. The country of context, yeah. Yeah. That great, wonderful country. Let me do that again for people that are new to the show that actually want to know what this is. This segment is called The Contextual Texan. It's the part of the show where Brandon, who is mm-hmm. in fact from Texas, provides some much needed context for the work in question. This one is the witness for prosecution, witness for the prosecution, I should say, by Dame Agatha Christie. Of course, before Brandon does that, he lets out a hail and hearty. Yeah. In classic Texas. Yeah, that was hardier than usual. That was pretty hardy. I'll give that a well. well we're a hearty yeehaw for the lack of hardiness that might behind be behind this context. Because <laughs> I mean, we've done this before, and this is one of those authors that you just don't keep going back to that well. Well, apparently we do. <laughs> we've, how many times have we gone back to the well now? Twice at least. I mean, we've done five or six episodes now on Agatha Christie. Yeah. All of them related to Murder on the Orient Express, besides this one. Yeah. But, uh, but you wanted an excuse to have Dubstep Danny back on. Yeah, so where's Dubstep Danny? <laughs> I don't know. Why aren't we having her? Maybe we should do something else right now <laughs> and then have an episode where we have Dubstep Danny on because we're only getting one episode out of this anyways. <laughs> you know, if Dubstep Danny wants to come talk about this, she can, but we're we're mo- we're forging forward right now. <laughs> Dubstep Danny's yeah, always We did this welcome. for you, Danny, but we didn't invite was, you. Yeah, we I was trying to get out. We threw forgot. you a party, but we forgot to invite you to <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. So. Sorry, Danny. Uh, you're, anytime you want to come on, you're welcome. I've said it many times. So just choose your book. If you want to come on and talk about this one, if you have thoughts, probably more than I have on this one. Frankly speaking, although 
people do not like episodes where Nathan is sad. So I will not be sad. I will be happy about this book. Hooray for Agatha Christie. Hooray for context, Brandon. Hey, and yeah. you just set up your context by telling us how <laughs> I had nothing um, to say and it wasn't going to be interesting. It wasn't a hardy how, but guess speaking of hardy, mm-hmm. the hardy boys were mystery solvers. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and guess what? Agatha Christie. Speaking of boys, oh boy, speaking was that an interesting comment that you just made. Yeah, speaking of uh, mysteries, we're going to now solve the mystery as to why she, this writer is so popular. <laughs> Isn't she like the most popular person? Yeah, I mean, you can go back and you can read. You can, as as people might be uh, deciphering from my tone, I wasn't as enthusiastic about Miss Agatha Christie this time around. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't hate her, I think, as much as Nathan does. You know, I was actually, I'll I'll just go ahead and say, I basically, I I read the story this morning. I basically enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. I mean, I wouldn't read it. But that's about all we're going to have to say about it is it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. It's enjoyable. I mean, what do you have to say about it, Jake? I read the story months ago, and I was like, well, first I thought it was, I had it in my head that it was a novel or a novella, and I thought I had finished the first chapter. And then I realized it was a volume of short stories, and I asked you guys, so are we reading the whole volume? And you're like, no, why would we do that? So then I stopped, and that was it. There you go. That's so we're, we're not reading the whole volume of short stories. We're sorry if you did. That's a really weird feeling when you have a book and you think the book's going to continue. Like when it has an excerpt from another novel at the yeah. at the end of a supermarket pot boiler or something. And you like you think there's going to be way more chapters for Jack Reacher to solve this problem. And then it's like, oh, no, this is the this is the next Jack Reacher thing or the next Tom Clancy mm-hmm. thing. Or they included the short story that I Am Legend was based on or whatever. Right. It's just like it, it's that same feeling of when you think that there's another stair and like when you're going up the stairs <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you yeah. think there's another one and then you have this weird off balance. It changes feeling. the way that you read something. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Just like discovering that a book is written by a woman. Like, yeah. Have you ever been like halfway through something and then you realize this is written by a woman and it's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing, but it just, it does. It affected uh, when I re- read George Eliot for the first time. It was before I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so it was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. that this was actually a woman. Did you figure it out like before you read the novel or? I figured it out like midway through the novel. Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. Did you chuck it across the room? And I did. Say I'm never reading Dickens this, after that. This tripe, you know, he's a man. A man's yeah, he's man. A, he's a man. <laughs> he is a man's man. <laughs> that's what we all think about Dickens. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I always like to look up fun facts about the authors just on like Google News and stuff before we start. And, and I always like to hear the fun facts that you look up. Apparently, Modifius, a toy maker, just launched Agatha Christie Death on the Cards in a first-party gaming move. Hey. So, there you go. People can go out and buy it. You can have... you can Death s- on the Cards? Is that what it's called? Hercule Poirot. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. You got Miss Marple. You got You're the Murderer with a... Kind of <laughs> look like you're a ring wraith wearing uh, those glasses that that Nazi this, guy wears. This is just from- like a... I don't know. What's that party game where... Like, what are those guessing? Here, let me read Everybody goes to sleep and somebody tells the story and one of you is the murderer and... But everybody goes to sleep? What is this? Yeah, it's, you know, night comes and then you wake up and somebody is dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, you get stabbed. You have a stab in the back. It's mafia. Yeah, yeah. Mafia, like mafia. Designed by Dr. Thomas Rawlings, the Agatha Christie card game is aimed at both older children and adults. It's been a real privilege to work on a game design based on such distinguished and cherished stories and characters, and we worked really hard to distill some of Agatha Christie's thrilling essence <laughs> into the game. <laughs> the ground up her bones. <laughs> yeah. He worked with, apparently, uh, Dumbledore on this game. In bringing the game to life, the designers at Modifius Entertainment drew on the rich literary history. And they're making a lot of uh, broad... Broad claims? Broad claims. Br- brave claims Brave here. claims, yeah. Rich literary history of Agatha Christie's stories. Detective Hercule Poirot, Miss Marple, Harley Quinn. Who's Harley Quinn? I mean, what? I know who she's. And she's Batman. The, Batman. She's, she's Batman's the girl. in the short from Batman. Thing. Yeah. Designed specifically for Batman the Animated Series, yes. I think. Yes, that was before she was the lady in the shorts, and she was a much better character back then. Let me just go I would look up Harley Quinn, but I'm not sure. You want to do that? I want to do that. I wouldn't do that. I'll look her up on Wikipedia. There you go. Yeah. Maybe Harley Quinn, Agatha Christie. Mr. Satterwhite, Parker Pine. No, I'm thinking of Parker Posey. I'm sorry to say that doesn't sound right either. Lady Eileen Bundle Brent, Tommy and Tuppence, and Ariadna Oliver all feature within the game seeking to find the murderer. Wow, I know I know Tommy and Tuppence, and I know Miss Marple, obviously, and Hercule. 
but I don't know any of these. Those yeah, yeah. three. Collect sets of these familiar characters to help reveal each player's secrets. The chairman of this place, of Agatha Christie Limited, apparently was his thing. I've had enormous fun watching Death on the Cards develop. It's an intelligent game of skill and misdirection that gives humorous nods to the characters and words of Agatha Christie. I expect it to be a hit with fans of my great-grandmother's work. And for those of us who simply enjoy pitting our wits against friends and family. Who doesn't enjoy pitting their wits against friends and family? That's what every episode of The Bookening is about. Harley <laughs> Quinn is a fictional character created by Agatha Christie and the most mysterious of all her detectives. His name mm-hmm. is a word play on... Harley Quinn. <laughs> really? Which may be a clue to his personality. Is he like a jokester, impish kind of a guy? Mr. Quinn helps his older friend, Mr. Satterway, Satterthwaite, Satterthwaite. solve crimes using his extraordinary skills and instincts. He appears in the 12 short stories appearing in The Mysterious Mr. Quinn, first published in 1930, and in an additional two short stories, The Love Detectives and The Harlequin Tea Set from Problem at Palenza Bay and other stories. Mr. Quinn was a figure who just entered into a story, a catalyst, no more. His mere presence affected human beings. There would be some little fact, some apparently irrelevant phrase to point him out for what he was. A man shone in a harlequin-colored light that fell on him through a glass window, a sudden appearance or disappearance. Maybe that sounds interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Brent. Why is that thing called Death on the Cards? Is that because the name it's of the... based off of Death on the Nile. Yeah, but it's... what a lame name for a Well, game. it wasn't like they were being overly creative with well, this, Nathan. Even Murder on the Orient Cards would have been better than Death on the Cards. Death on the Cards is a really lame name, Well, I just want to say. I'm sure there's an even... Cle- Let's come up with all the clever names. That's our episode. We're going to come up with the clever names they could have used instead of this. Hercule... Hercule... Hercule. Hercule... Hercule Poker. <laughs> Hercule Porgo Fish. <laughs> um. Well, here's... This is AgathaChristie.com. I just looked up that place that her uh, son apparently is in charge of. And this is all they think you need to know about her. She was born in Torquay in 1990. She became and remains the best-selling novelist of all time. She is best known for her 66 detective novels and 14 short story collections, as well as the world's largest, longest-running play, The Mousetrap. I think mm-hmm. we talked about that. Yes, we did. You can still see it in London to this day. It would be a fun thing to do if you ever found yourself in London. Yeah, I would go. If, if we ever do a live show in London, if they want to bring us to London, we've said this before. We right. have listeners in London. Bring us to London. Yeah, absolutely. We want to do that for our fifth anniversary, right, with mm-hmm. Jane Austen live Heck in yeah. London. We could even add that and, like, do some tapings for the Shakespeare stuff. We go, go see the, the Globe. globe. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's we could book. probably put together like a whole several months or a year of programming based around that. If somebody mean. wants to pay for us to come to Great Britain for a month. Get us to $1,000 at that point too and we can do our Tolkien episodes from there as well. Oh, that's a good idea. Which by the way, I don't know how we're hanging around the time that this episode drops, but man, folks. We're we, so close we to unlocking Narnia. So close. Jake is in mortal danger of having to don elf ears what are we at and like 709 or some 705 705 we got to get to 750 before july is that what we said so i was saying i was at agathachristie.com yes which is related to that son who apparently has agatha christie inc or whatever it is llc because you know when you have a famous parent you should monopolize on that hashtag christopher tolkien yeah, so the last thing he has to say is her books have sold over a billion copies in the English language and a billion in translation. That's a lot of copies. Yeah, so she's famous. She wrote a lot of books and she became very successful. And here's, I mean, why not? I, I didn't plan on doing this, but here's, uh, can I just kind of summarize what they have to say about her on this site? Absolutely, oh, no, this please is do. Her, this is an interesting angle. Mm-hmm. This is what her son has to say. Yeah. So here's the question he asks, and it's the question that we're going to be asking today where did her creativity come from (laughs) where did it come from jake where do you think her mind her brain that's right (laughs) because she absorbed little gray cells yes exactly her little that's right her little gray cells (laughs) she absorbed the children's stories of the time edith nesbitt good one Mm -hmm. louisa m alcott sure oh why not but also poetry and startling thrillers from america it's a difficult sentence to understand american poetry and startling thrillers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want me to keep going? Eh, only if you want to. There, I've, the portrait that emerges of her is always of a, somewhat of a recluse and an eccentric, right? True or false? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and her father died when she was young. She was kind of a recluse. Um, by the age of 18, she was amusing herself with short stories. 
In 1912, she met Archie Christie, who was an aviator, and guess what happened? They said hello, shook hands, and never saw each other again. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Okay, Poirot was born 1916 through 1924. (laughs) This is when she began, so it was 1916 through 1924, she began to write her... Uh, detective stories. So she had been writing short stories since she was 18. She And Poirot is one of the detectives that she invented during this time. Apparently, one of her first books was The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Have you read this? No. It's a pretty famous one, I know. Um, What do we want to know about her midlife? Anything you want to know about that, Nathan? Not yeah, really. Questions. She disappeared. She disappeared. She had some difficulties with her marriage. Some people think that might be kind of what caused it. She didn't have the happiest life. She was kind of a recluse. Just a reminder from the last episode, she actually would like do a lot of research into poisons and stuff like that to craft her book. She was a fairly detail-oriented person. Mm-hmm. She would draw from what she had read. She would also very carefully construct her stories with like little notebook papers and stuff that she would... I, I always imagine like one of those walls covered in... Notebook papers, and that's how she would create her like story. Like a conspiracy theorist yeah. in a movie yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. If you look at her notebooks, which I have, I'm not personally, but I've seen recreations of them online, they, they are like that for sure. Yeah. Um, apparently, she, as a rule, wrote two to three books a year. And this one in particular falls, what are we reading? What's this book called? Witness for the Prosecution and Other Stories. So this would be one of her collections. So what people might not realize is that this is actually a short story. So this would have been of one of the 14 volumes of short stories that she drafted and created. There are lots of movies. In fact, that you have movies as far back as like 1957. Have you seen any of these, Nathan? Yeah, the original Witness for Prosecution, Billy Wilder movie is an absolute classic in my book. I think everybody should see it. I would recommend that they spend their two hours doing that over reading anything by Agatha Christie. I've seen it. I have not seen it. Who's the main cast? Charles Lawton plays the, the barrister. And what's her face? Very famous person. Oh, what is her name? mysterious actress very glamorous a bit of a recluse herself marlena dietrich marlena dietrich plays the woman and i believe tyrone power tyrone power yeah plays the young man elsa lancaster the bride of frankenstein herself plays charlie lawton's nurse it's a good movie well this one apparently this was first published as trader's hand and flynn's a weekly pulp magazine it would be later in 1933 that it was publishes The Witness for the Prosecution in the collection The Hound of Death. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have today. And then the rest is history. It became very famous. You have lots of different movies. There's going to be a movie this year, right? Starring Ben Affleck, yeah. That he's actually directing as well. Is that correct? That's why we did this. I don't know if the movie's actually still on track or not. Um, I looked it up the other day, and I'm pretty sure it still is. And that could be how we have Dubstep Danny yeah, come back on. absolutely. No, there's actually not a date for it. So... Well, maybe we're not getting it after all. Oh, well. Maybe we'll have to watch the Billy Wilder movie. That's not something I'd be opposed to doing. The movie is listed as announced. So it may just be that a deal was put together and it was announced and but there's no cast. And yeah, they're not. This movie might not happen. Things get announced all the time by studios. Sometimes in a bid to get something made, you announce it. I think we to saw some it. hype. Yeah. Attached to like Ben Affleck or something like that. Yeah, he's attached. Or he, him being attached to it, rather. Yeah, yeah. if you just look a couple in the, of years ago, if you just look in IMBD, it's got the Ben Affleck's name and the fact that it is announced are like the only two interesting pieces of information. And that's all we get. So, all right. Well, that's kind of the history and the background of um, Agatha Christie. It's not a whole lot to say about her life. It, it really is a fairly straightforward life. Now, just to provide then some context to where she was historically within the literary literary history, she was writing this in 1925. It was published in 1933. That puts her in the era of modernism. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> what Brandon loves to talk about modernism. I love to talk about modernism, except she's not really a modernist at all. She would fall more in the category. I mean, I hate to say it, but she would be more in the category of like a Steinbeck, mm-hmm. a, a pop author. Except she hasn't, she doesn't have the literary clout that Steinbeck would have. Either. Mm-hmm. And Steinbeck was at least trying to craft literature as symbolism and metaphor, and giving us these deep archetypal stories. We were talking about Peterson the other day. Mm-hmm. I realized we never really brought up Northrop Fry or any of that sort of stuff on the bookening, but I mean, why would we? Mm-hmm. But do you guys, do you, you know who Northrop Fry is? I, he was an American no. critic, and he talked a lot about. He was archetypal theory before Peterson made it popular again. Mm-hmm. Um, he came from, I think it was Harvard or Yale, one of the Ivy League schools he taught there, and he would teach about the the hero's journey, the Campbellian stuff that you would get from that. And yeah, 
I don't know how that has to do with what that has to do with Agatha Christie. I just find it more interesting than Agatha. <laughs> she's Christie. She's not that. <laughs> she's yeah, because she's not that. You don't get those <laughs> things there. But what you do. <laughs> what do you get with Agatha Christie? What do you get with what Agatha Christie? What do you Christie, get with Agatha Christie? Fun. Well, fun. Um, another thing that was becoming popular during this time. Well, a lot of when people look at the 1920s modernism, there are various lenses to look at it through. Mm-hmm. One, you can look at it through the lens of modernism. She's mm-hmm. not really a modernist that way. Right. She's more of a pop author. Right. Right. There's also the lens of um, multiculturalism, and then there's the lens of psychoanalytic theories, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you, you kind of try to figure out which of these theories is best used as a lens to read mm-hmm. any sort of depth or analytical depth to Agatha Christie's story because mm-hmm. we want to believe that it's a product of capitalism, right? So right. Uh, you could look at it, and that's another thing you can look at it through is sort of this Marxist lens where it is a product of capitalism as it's it's a commodity itself. And so that commodity contains meaning within it. And so as we begin to analyze it through that lens as a commodification. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> on second thought, your dissertation. <laughs> don't, don't bother. <laughs> if, if we look at it, <laughs> does he know what's going on? I think Jake might be on to you, friend. All right. <laughs> um, but go on. Yeah, I'm going to keep going yeah. on. So, <laughs> if we look at it as a commodity, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of critical theorists like to look at pro- literature from this period as like a commodity. Mm-hmm. As, so we can, if we look at it that way, maybe we can start unraveling some of the meaning and the depth sure. of uh, some of the archetypes that might even be in this this uh, story. Mm-hmm. But they come more from this place of being a product of mm-hmm. pop culture, mm-hmm. right? And so, as a product of pop culture, we have these things that might be that the, the producer might have been blind to. Mm-hmm. And so, if we kind of take a homie K. Baba stance towards it, it might be creating this other that is the product itself that doesn't completely understand its position of otherness. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me keep going? Yeah, please. Okay, yeah. You want me to keep going, Jake? Yeah, by all means. It, it doesn't completely understand its position as other, mm-hmm. but it, it creates almost that alternate identity for itself by being blind to it. <laughs> and so, what you find... With a commodity product like this oh my that's blind to itself is that it was already always the thing that it was trying to not be. <laughs> did you plan this? Obviously you did. No, Jake. I'm, I'm trying to get some depth out of this. <laughs> and so then what we have are two possibilities. One is I, as I, I, a, I prefer it if you were just riffing. <laughs> as a post-colonial woman... A white, privileged female, mm-hmm. she could have been with these plays, especially this one here, where you have this white, privileged woman who ends up being murdered, and you find out that it was the male who murdered her in the end, that everybody wanted to not really believe was the murderer, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the plot of this play, not to spoil it, or short story, not to spoil it for people. But so to go back then to the point about how this was always already the thing itself that it was trying not to create. Oh, man. <laughs> What you have is like with stories of murder on the Nile or murder on the Orient Express, this story not so much. And so it's, this is more difficult to place within this lens. But if you look at these things, it's the Orient. It's in the dangerous areas of the Czech Republic, the places that uh, the colonial Brit, uh, colonial Britain had no hold over, mm-hmm. right? And then also the Nile, a place that was traditionally held under colonial rule. And so in this way, her stories, if, if not so much a critique, at least an expose, of the way that colonial Britain reimagined its other in a way that could either make it tame and controllable in the in the sense of murder on the Orient Express, mm-hmm. because there they have to pretend and, and see the Czech policemen. Was it from Czech? Was that the dangerous area? I believe so. They had yeah. to see them as being inferior and being almost barbaric in the way in in, in relationship to Poirot, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the Nile, something similar happens as well, and so this helps to then bolster this sense of British superiority through the story, right? And so then therefore helps to create these identities that would have a way to attack that idea itself, right? And this is what we see with things like, well, when we were Midnight's Children, mm-hmm. we can talk about this again. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, I mean, I almost hate myself right now. 
The other thing, though, and I think the more useful lens to see oh. this story through is through the Lacanian lens that we might <laughs> adapt through someone like Zizek with his uh, objet petit a. Mm-hmm. And what we have here is with the rich woman representing this thing that is desired but can never yet be grasped. And so the story is always sliding and slipping around this woman, this thing, this object of desire that we want, but we can never quite get. And so the story, especially Witness of the Prosecution, is a revelation of our internal needs to have this thing that we cannot ever really have. And now you can shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> now you fully deserve it. <laughs> so were you, were you in on this? Yeah, we mean we didn't have terrible poker faces. Yeah, suck, the, the idea was for me to get in to start doing this and see just, how long it took you to realize that. Yeah, the idea was it didn't for, take me very long. <laughs> well, the idea was for him to slowly adapt more and more academic theory until he was just saying gobbledygook. Yeah, and, and see if I ever woke up to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> but you were paying attention from the beginning, so I realized it was... We were actually you were, paying more attention. Your little attention. gray cells were working from the beginning. <laughs> oh, man, uh, no. If it's any... Uh, if it's any it's not. consolation, that all was just off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's some consolation. I... <laughs> but if it's any also, I don't know if it's consolation or just reason to make you depressed about the academy. That sort of stuff I was saying, you could reasonably expect to find some graduate student somewhere mm-hmm. arguing. I mean, everything I said... Oh, no, I... About the commodity, the yep. commodification, the Marxist theory looking through at it, the multicultural lens looking at it. The only other thing I didn't get to was the queer theory lens applied mm-hmm. to it. But, you know, we're not going to get there. <laughs> that was no, going to be my, that that been been be my denouement. Part, yeah. If you really weren't paying attention, I was going to start doing a queer reading of it. How would, they do, how would they do a queer reading? Let's just think this. So you got these two women that are living together, the older woman who's never been married, and you have her servant is angry that this man has come into the picture. I mean, that's the place you would start, right? That's probably where you'd start. But again, yeah. it's the old woman who's the objet petty a, mm-hmm. like according to Lacanian theory. Right, of course. And Lacan, that all mixes together. Queer theory comes out of that sort of stuff. It all, it's all the same mm-hmm. nasty animal. But this is the sort of stuff you could be getting, guys, if we went more of the angle of what apparently some of you want. <laughs> nobody wants that. I no, hope. nobody wants that. <laughs> all right, guys, we've had a little fun today. Uh, what baggage did you bring to Agatha Christie? I guess we might as well uh, get some discussion out of this. The baggage that I brought to Agatha Christie. Oh, the airplane went over. Oh. By indicating baggage check. Uh, what baggage do you bring to this, Brandon? Uh, the baggage I brought to it. Besides your pre-Canyon theory. Yeah, the Canyon theory. I brought the fact that I read Murder on the Orient Express and watched the movie. And also that I thought that was fine. I'm trying to remember because everything got so... Everything got exaggerated a little bit because... I didn't like it very much, and so we. And so you didn't actually read it, right? We, uh, but I played up my dislike. I don't know whether you guys in my brain became bigger defenders than you actually were. I'm trying. I think that we kind of took the position we're going to be taking today, which is it's just fine. It's a decent, innocent beach read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing wrong with it, but nothing really great about it either. Yeah, that's my position. That is also my position. If it's fun, Uh, Murder on the Orient Express was fun. And if that's the kind of thing that you like, she's good at giving you that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I would make the same argument I made a couple of months ago, or I guess it was more than that, years ago now, whenever we did the last Agatha Christie, which is, why not just watch a movie? You're not getting anything of literary nutrients or value out of this, I don't think. Because you're literally on the beach or literally out in a hammock. Why aren't you staring at clouds? Or reading War and Peace. Or reading War and Peace. If, if you want to do it, it's fine. I'm just saying, I don't understand personally... It's okay. You have my permission, world. Not that you needed it. But I just don't understand why you'd want to do that when you well, could. Some, some people, Nathan, just don't want to always be basking in the wondrous beauty of language that you do. And they just want something that's going to take their mind off things. And they Maybe might a little have a stress. light, enjoyable well, thing that they could forget about. Here, I, I can speak from someone I'm very fond of, which mm-hmm. is my wife, who likes Agatha Christie quite a bit. And she admits that Agatha Christie's not a great literary giant. Right. But what she says is that, you know, when you have the stresses of the kids, the stresses of all these things, and she likes to do crossword puzzles and stuff like that. So she yeah. finds detective stories quiet. interesting. It's like a riddle. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It invests you in the story. And it's a nice not, little distraction. It's not perverted. Mm-hmm. You can't, you don't have to worry about Agatha Christie slapping you in the face with anything that you should be scandalized reading, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's innocent, fun reading that distracts you for a while. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think so. I don't think it is either. And I'm, I'm only sort of kidding when I yeah. exaggerate my disdain for it. I think it's fine. It's not for me. 
that's that's basically it was only ever my argument against yeah. Agatha Christie is it's not for me. I just don't happen to enjoy it, but it's fine, I guess, if other people enjoy it. That whole riddle aspect thing to me, though, I don't I know a lot of people like to read these things to try and figure out who done it. But to me, it's like, who cares who done it? Like, why? What's well, what's you know, I'm not I don't work. to me. It has the same pleasure as solving a math equation. And I mean that not just to insult it. I mean, like, it literally is anything that I any, any joy I ever got out of sitting down and trying to solve a problem for school is kind of the same thing that an Agatha Christie novel might or, or story might give me. So it's like, well, the train left the station at this time. And if I think the other train, then when are they going to meet? It's that it's like that part of my brain. And I don't really enjoy exercising that part of my brain for, for pleasure. Yeah. Well, some do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the simple answer. It's just some do. Mm-hmm. Like my wife, she really enjoys Sudoku puzzles and stuff like that. I don't necessarily, but it's something that entertains her. And so in the same way that I, th- I think that really is the a part of the full enjoyment of here. People who love logic puzzles. Yeah. Apparently to those people, that's a big thing that we missed. Discussing in depth with Alice in Wonderland is apparently that's a big pleasure for them is reading Alice in Wonderland to pick up on all the little math. We talked about this, the yeah. math and the philosophy stuff that's in there. I think that's, that's entirely true that someone that's into those kinds of things would enjoy Alice in Wonderland a lot more than any of us yeah. did. And they would be the sort of people that would probably enjoy Agatha Christie too. Mm-hmm. It's not demanding in the sense that it, the characters are, it, it doesn't demand that you get too invested with a character. Right. Instead, it's just you get invested with a plot. Right. I think the person who most strikes a balance between the two and thus is as rich and as famous as she is is J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Because she has just enough character there to keep us interested mm-hmm. and just enough plot there to keep others interested. But she also has a third thing, which is world building. And that's something that I miss in Agatha Christie is any sense of... You wish there was a Christie universe? No, I don't need a Christie extended universe. I just need like a... Except she kind of v- did with Poirot, right? Yeah, I guess a little bit. But it always just feels like it's the thinnest veneer from a simple logic puzzle. You know, the guy, poly- the, 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 what are the character traits of the barrister or whatever he is in the story? It's that he has a uh, glasses that he keeps polishing. That's mm-hmm. it. Like, that's his, his quirky characteristic. Other than that, he really doesn't have anything. And he's not supposed to because otherwise this would become. No, it'd actually get in the way. Yeah. I, I agree that it would get in the way. I mean, there's all, I mean, yeah. I think for me, place and character are more important than, than plot. That well, yeah, which is why then you like the big sleep and stuff like that. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make people bad that like this kind of thing. But things. the big sleep then is not appealing to my wife because... Or which one did we read by him? Big sleep, yeah. The big sleep is what I thought. Because it has no plot whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's just a collection of scenes. We talk about how we don't want to watch drama, movies that are drama, because mm-hmm. we live a lot of drama. And maybe if you're at home all day with a bunch of kids, you don't want to... You don't have a need for characters and relational things so much as something to break you out of the mundane day-to-day grind yeah i think that's true of your life and i don't i don't resent people for wanting that well let me make a small well, so argument can i just one yeah, thing please. to that the other the caveat to that as well is that you can read agatha christie in shorter snippets and mm-hmm. still go back to it and not feel like you have to reinvest yourself each time yes so i was talking to somebody at the dangerous boys camp out and that's was his he was asking about war and peace can I approach this in short segments or am I going to have to invest long periods of time to get into it? Right. And I think with War and Peace, you actually can because the chapters are short. Yeah. But, but there's nothing more depressing than being halfway through a great novel with a lot of yeah. emotional weight to it and things that you have to keep up with and then losing your place or just having life catch up with you and yeah. you, you can't read it for a couple of weeks and then trying to get back into it is pretty tough. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. nice. There's something to be said for something that you can just pick up and put down and leave for a week sitting cracked open on your night table. I get that. Can I argue a little bit for somebody like Rawling? Here, I'll throw Rawling some some not shade. What's the opposite of shade? I'll I'll be light. nice to her. Some some likes. Some some light. Some love. Some love. He'll give her some love. Yeah. It's just somebody that can be more the complete package. I mean, if you want to put like my beloved Raymond Chandler over on one side and say, man, you know, actually he would have been better if he could just anchor this to a plot. Uh, could we also say, man, Agatha Christie would have been that much better if she could have anchored, just given this the light brushing of character and wit and interest and place and feeling. It's a little bit more nutritious and a little bit less just pure candy. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we all agree it would be a good thing. Because in the end, what it leaves you with, which... It's one reason we wanted to do that little, really hilarious segment of me bloviating, mm-hmm. is that there's not much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, there isn't. I mean, so long as it didn't ruin the point. Yeah, but I mean, I think there's a way to do that. Maybe not. I mean, maybe what people actually want is a logic puzzle. 
maybe people actually do like I mean, when I was a kid, I liked Encyclopedia Brown because it'd be like two pages. And then you'd be like, how did Encyclopedia Brown know that the guy wasn't really fainting? It's because he and then you'd flip to the end. It's because he fell forward instead of backward or something like that. Yeah. So maybe even the thinnest veneer of like some dialogue that sounded like how real people talked and some something that situated you within a time and a place. And maybe even just a little bit of that would actually detract from what people like about Agatha Christie. I don't know. I think it might. But I mean, there's a reason that she sold billions of copies, right? People like something here. Yeah, I guess. So. It just seems very thin to me. Like a watercolor. What's that? Like a watercolor. Like a watercolor, like a stick figure thing, really. A stick figure. All right. Well, guys, hear those crickets? <laughs> <laughs> I vote that we never do Agatha Christie ever again. I vote that too. I'm happy to do her. <laughs> Let's just do an Agatha Christie podcast. <laughs> It'd just be us <laughs> staring at one another for like 30 minutes. <laughs> just so, be, guys. Just be crickets. That old woman actually ended up being killed by that one guy, and the plot came back around on itself. Ain't that something? Mm-hmm. She got us. It, more of Nathan saying, I agree that you know people can like this sort of thing, but wouldn't it be great if they liked something that didn't suck? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm sure that people are so flattered by hearing this. More of Jake being offended on people's behalf for yeah. me saying I mean, that. wouldn't it be nice if it had, you know, some dialogue that sounded like how real people actually talk and gave it some nutritional value instead of just being stupid popcorn that idiots like? <laughs> <laughs> over and over yeah, again. I think that's a pretty fair summary of what Nathan says. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it, okay? I don't like it. What do you want from me? I think that I don't sympathize with people who like it. I think that it is bad. That doesn't mean that other people can't have other opinions. I accept that they do, and it's fine. It's a free country. But this podcast is more entertaining when I give my opinions, Jake. Say so it's like cotton candy with maggots or what did, what did yeah. I say about it? I'm <laughs> uh, starting to sound like Crazy Brandon from uh, Ready Player One. Episode. I'm Crazy Brandon. Yeah, you're turning into me. <laughs> your kids and your Agatha Christie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here, here's my official statement on the matter. If you like Agatha Christie, you are not stupid. Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's so nice of you, Nathan. You can be smart. That's you can a, be godly. It's the nicest thing that you I've can, said so far. You can be smart. You can be godly. You can be pretty. What are other qualities? You can be intelligent. <laughs> you can be... Handsome? Handsome, sure. Maybe. You can be good at things. You can have talent in life. You can be going places. You can be a person that people respect. And you can also well, like Agatha Christie. The handsome versus pretty thing. <laughs> I was just beginning. I was thinking this through. I do think in general, it is women who like Agatha Christie more than men. Isn't think that interesting? My wife likes Agatha Christie. Danny likes Agatha Christie. Big, enough that they're actually big fans. Like they read her. And I think that we would all agree that we respect both my wife and Danny. Yep. And well, so and is it, I, I think that's kind of where my point earlier might be pretty relevant. Like what you're talking about is a break from relational drama for just uh some plot and a logic puzzle yeah well and it may, may i posit or may i at least ask is part of the fact that jake that you're a little bit uncomfortable with my disdain because i'm basically attacking all of womankind when i yeah act like agatha christie is stupid and yeah. uh, and that anybody that would like it is also stupid right which, yeah. which basically it comes down to women are stupid yeah, because they're way more practical-minded than a romantic, uh, awesome yeah, philosopher, is... philosopher, poet, king like, like Nathan. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think this is building to our uh, next installment of our poetry episodes that we're yeah. going to have to do eventually. Me and Brandon, at the very least, have a theory, and I, I imagine Jake will probably agree with this. We could, we could even throw it at him right now and yeah. see what happens. That Maybe we've talked about this before, the three of us, I don't remember, but that poetry is more appreciated by men generally yeah we've talked about this have we i don't know have we, have we talked about it on with it i yeah. think we even talked about it on mike yeah, we we did. i don't remember because men are actually more romantic and more metaphorical and women tend to be more practical yep which makes sense in the end it doesn't mean women don't have romantic and doesn't mean men aren't practical well i like women i respect women i think that they can read their agatha christie it's just to. Today, we have such a bad understanding of what poetry is in the first place mm -hmm. that you get dumb statements like I heard. I think I've told this story. When I first came to this church, it was like my first year when I was doing some repenting. Right. I was coming to this thing called uh, David's Mighty Men. Mm -hmm. yep. And this guy who was a philosopher stood up 
and um, they were asking, what are effeminate things? Right. And this philosopher, I mean, come on, a philosopher, which philosopher? in my opinion, <laughs> is by its nature kind of the mm-hmm. effeminate. Well, I, I think I might know who this philosopher is. He stood up and he said, poetry <laughs> is effeminate. Yes. Boo. And I'm just like, and that, well, what was great is Jody Killingsworth was there at the time. Mm-hmm. And he stood up and he said something like, uh, King David? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hashtag King David. <laughs> so that made me love Jody at that point. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, there. there's a guy who gets it. Yep. Yep. So yeah, granted, this was a young, immature philosopher. And we've all thought young, immature things. We have. Yep. But to say, one day I would love to do an episode, maybe behind the paywall or something, mm-hmm. a little study on what actually is poetry, what yeah. poetry is, because I think it's widely misunderstood. Well, so. you know, we've got a month to fill with Agatha Christie that we're not going to fill with Agatha Christie. If you wanted to do it the very next episode, Brandon, yeah, I'd be fine with that. You guys want to talk some poetry? Yeah, sure. sure. I think that'd be great. All right, let's do it. You okay with that? Yeah, so long as we don't have Narnia filling up all the space. Yeah. If you want to hear- Hey, make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I've already, hey guys, I've already have a list of three costume rental companies here in Bloomington. Seriously, to get an Elvis and oh, an yeah. elf elf <laughs> costume for Jake. I may or may not have also looked up Elvis <laughs> priced Elvis costumes. Air five, Air Nathan. five. <laughs> We're so excited by this possibility. I hate you all. <laughs> hey, Jake if was it, hoping we would forget. I will do something silly if it drives funds. Yeah, we, this was originally going to be us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we decided to be better to have it be Jake. <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> you know, I went and saw a John Wick movie not too long ago. Mm-hmm. My fiance actually absolutely hated and despised the fact that I was seeing a John Wick movie. She was also fine with it, but she was she had a healthy like, really? You're going to just eat junk food, feed junk food to your brain for the and I was like, "Well, what about all the dumb romantic comedies that you like?" And she's like, "No, they're great." And I think this is just the battle of the sexes that has to be fought every generation. And so while I have some sympathy for Jake not wanting me to be too disdainful of the fair sex or of people that like Agatha Christie, I sort of feel like somehow we all have to have a healthy allowance for everyone else's popcorn, but also kind of a healthy, hey, that junk food you're eating is, is actually junk food, don't forget, kind of uh, thing. So, Hey, guess what junk food beat out Godzilla, Avengers, and John Wick this weekend? Aladdin. Yep, and it's second weekend. The yep. third. Alyssa and Arwen really liked it. And Rocket Man. The R-rated gay sex having biopic of uh, Elton John. It's only climbing it. on the audience I'm score. I'm going to see it with Anna. She really wants to see it. Well, not you'll not have Rocket fun. Man. You you'll probably won't like it that much. She will. Only prigs like Nathan won't like it. Which means you might not like it either. But. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I said you. I didn't yeah. say you both. Yeah. <laughs> Anna will probably like it fine. Um, I see how it is, Jake. <laughs> my monocle pops out of my eye. <laughs> well, folks, this is actually, hopefully you listen to our Sanity at the Movies podcast, too, if you want to follow all the things that are going on right now. I made a claim that Aladdin will not be loved, that the audience score will actually go down. Jake is rubbing First nose. of all, he said he said that the audience score would be terrible, and then it turned out to not be terrible, and he said it would go down, and it's only gone up. All right. Yes, I am rubbing his face in it. And I am going to say... <laughs> I never meant that it would happen within a week. I understand that <laughs> people been... like their little Aladdin, whatever. <laughs> but history, once the excitement goes away, years from now, when people have both movies and neither one of them is exciting and new, but they just both exist, nobody's going to care about this new Aladdin. History will prove me right, Jake. 20 years from now, I will be <laughs> right, rubbing your years. nose. <laughs> All right, 20 years. Somebody, 20 somebody years. Uh, yeah, make a note. 20 years from now. Or 30, or, or maybe we'll both be dead. Maybe I'll hobble over to your nursing home from my nursing home and say, see, no one cares about this Aladdin. <laughs> They'll have remade it again by then. <laughs> yeah, everybody's yeah. excited about the new thing. <laughs> oh, man. What do they used to just make Jasmine? That'll probably be something. Well, that's what I thought was one of the smartest things that anybody said about this one was that they should that they should have made Jasmine and then they could have done what they wanted to do. Yeah, and it, was, it might have been wickedly feminist, but it would have been more interesting. <sighs> I guess if people don't care about what actually makes the original Aladdin great and they just want some a karaoke version of it, then, you know, that's fine. They can do that's that fine. and then they can go to the beach and read Agatha Christie. They can go to the beach and read their Agatha Christie. But as for Nathan and Brandon, we'll be... In the corner, reading Tolstoy. Yep, <laughs> and so much more the world happy. Doesn't exist. <laughs> and I will read my Tolstoy, and also 
enjoy fun things in life and Jake happiness. Is, Jake is so much more well-adjusted. <laughs> yes. He's a man of the people. Oh, I can't wait to see him in Elfield's ears. <laughs> yeah, let's get him. <laughs> oh, man. Jake, wrapping yourself in the flag of democracy, huh? Pretty low, man. What can I say? Well, I have the pleasure of looking down on all the people, <laughs> which is arguably just as good as being one of them. <sighs> all right. Well, this was a weird disjointed episode, but hey, we do like 52 of these a year, folks. So yeah. if it, wait, am I going to make a populist argument for now I'm getting self-conscious? <laughs> um, Go ahead, Nathan. Nobody expects consistency here. <laughs> least, least of all from you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I give up. Let's do some donor <laughs> shout outs. <laughs> least of all from me <laughs> oh man i feel like we're getting crusty in our old age this podcast has become a lot crustier um which is fine oh we all love each other yeah we all love each other people should know we all love each other all right guys let's shout them out jake why don't you shout them out and then brandon why don't you do something wildly interesting robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds he mimed it. He did jazz hands. Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do, Nathan? This Something is wildly interesting. I just told you. Four score and seven years ago. Just keep going through it. Chelsea. Oh, shoot. What's Chelsea's thing? Our fathers brought forth upon yeah. this continent. The immortal Chelsea E. The immortal Chelsea E. Our fathers brought forth. On this continent, a new nation. On this continent, a new nation. Am I going that how far I'm going to go? No, I was just feeding you the next line. All right. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, not me. Nathan, not Nathan. Conceived in liberty. Conceived in liberty and dedicated. Oh, you found it on your phone. To the proposition. To the proposition that all men are created equal. Jim and Ann, or little, or Jim, Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Now we are engaged. Now we are engaged in a great. Lily of the Valley. Civil war. Lily of the Valley. Testing whether that nation. Testing whether that nation. Or any. Andrew or any nation. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. So conceived. So conceived. And, and so dedicated. dedicated. The inscrutable Can Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. We, we are met. met on a great battlefield of that war. I know that line. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've come, okay. Uh, we've come John and Jill, the lovebirds, little baby Max, of course. John and Jill, the lovebirds, little baby Max, of course, a portion of that field. We have come world. to dedicate a portion of that field. Oh, here it is. Final. As a final resting place for those who here gave their lives. David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. As a final resting place for those who here gave their lives. All right. That Brandon, that nation might live. Let's get over, let's get, let's let's barrel through this. I'll say it, Jake, you call it out and you read Gettysburg Address and we'll do it all in one. One, two, three, go. It is altogether Adam, fitting and the, proper that we should do this. wizard. No, he's not. What is that? But in the largest Adam sense, is awesome. Awesome Adam. Dedicate. Awesome Adam. My beloved Mother Beth. My beloved Mother Beth. Jay and Katie who are cold in love cheese. Brave men living and dead. E-M-I-L-Y Emily. Fletcher, the wall wizard of yore. The artful Anthony Dodger. The dark hooded lord of death himself, Jeremy. It is for us to live in dedicated here. Rockin' Ryan and Judah 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 so far. Danny the Dude. Nobly Danny the Dude. G-G- it is rather for us to be here, DJ. The great task remaining before us. Benny T. Benny T. Benny T. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. Full measure of devotion. Professor X Professor and Lady X. Those dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. Wow. That, that was amazing. That was amazing. Probably <laughs> that was our, that was the single best donor shout out of all time. <laughs> Probably the greatest episode of all the time. The little, little Maya thing there. You yeah. Know. Yep. yeah. Plus, guys. Boy, Stone Huntington just uh, gave us a $50. <laughs> I, sh- I need to tell you something, though, which is that we have a new donor, and I'm pretty excited about this one. It is Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Little Anthony's. Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Little Anthony's Cigar Store, yes. Located in Auburn between Moe's Southwest Grill and Skyburn Bar. Celebrating over 20 years in business. It has been proudly serving Lee County for over 20 years from their convenient downtown location in Auburn, Auburn, Alabama. Now, Brandon, how big do you think this shop is? Little Al's Cigar Store. Or Little Anthony's Cigar Store. 200 square feet. Well, it's small. I can tell you that much. It's Uh. small. Now, do you think that that means that they have a small selection, Jake? Well, by no means. No, you're, you're, that would, you would be absolutely right. They have a big selection, and it's constantly 
changing. What do you think they carry, Brandon? Cigars. Not just cigars, though, my friend. Imported cigarettes, pipes, pipe tobacco, humidors, cutters, lighters, and cigar accessories. Wow. They carry such brands as Arturo Fuente. Shisha and electronic cigarettes. uh, Asylum, Olivia, Ashton, La Flor, Dominicana, and so much more. If you wanted to smoke a hookah, would you go to Little Anthony's and get some shisha? If I just wanted great service at a reasonable price... I'd definitely go to Little Anthony's. Apparently, talk about the bookening with them. Yeah, you really should. Uh, If you're in the Auburn area and you like to smoke, then... Say this is in Georgia? uh, Auburn, Alabama. Alabama. Well, if we're ever down in Alabama, or if you want to bring us down to Alabama, we'll stop and smoke a cigar with our fans. Yeah. Absolutely. We could do a little, not show and tell, what is it, like an appearance. (laughs) What is it? Where Show you, and tell. Where you, you would go to a bookstore to <laughs> give a little reading and meet A book your signing fans. or a book reading. Yeah, we do a little. A meet and greet. We, we have a sign. public appearance. A meet and greet. The... Yeah, we, yeah, a meet and greet. That's the word I want. They accept Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. Anyway, I'm excited. I've Bitcoin? Always... What's that? Bitcoin? It doesn't say Bitcoin. Ah, right? man, I've transferred all my funds to Bitcoin. That's a problem. Yeah. You might not, you might not have many cigars in your future anyway. <laughs> no. All right. Well, thank you to Little Anthony's Cigar Store. Be sure and check that out in downtown Auburn between Moe's Southwest Grill and Sky Bar, folks. 114 West Magnolia Avenue in the great town of Auburn, Alabama. Yeah. Well, I mean, where can you go from there? Into the credits. Booking was written and produced by me with my friends Brandon and Jake. Executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by Jake and me. And you can go to patreon.com forward slash the booking in order to support this podcast. Remind them what the stakes are, gentlemen, and why they should do it now. You should do it now because we are super close to hitting the seven fifty a month mark. Once we do, if we get it done this summer, we will read chronicles of narnia the whole shebang and not just read it but review it on this very podcast multiple episodes kind of like what we did in it with harry potter last yeah. yep now what happens and that will get us a step closer to tolkien tolkien, tolkien that's right at a thousand dollars a month yes and i have been chomping at the bit to talk about tolkien i'd really like to go back to it i have a lot to say about it i have a lot to say about those dumb movies i'm sure you guys have a lot to say about well, i'm sure we'll get 10 the, episodes out of that yeah we can get a lot out of tolkien it'd be very interesting to go back to it after all these years it's been a long time i'm not sure exactly what what or how it'll strike me but it'll be interesting that's for sure yeah but narnia also interesting and brandon remind us what happens if we make 750 by july by July 1st. Mm-hmm. So June 31st is 30 days past the June 30th at midnight. Mm-hmm. No later. Mm-hmm. If we get 750 by that point, our own Jacob Mensel mm-hmm. is going to put on elf ears, dress as Elvis, and read on Patreon mm-hmm. for all you subscribers out there. Is he reading for us? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Uh, just keep making stuff up. Chronicles <laughs> of Narnia translated into. Tolkien Elvish. Yeah, that's what it is. I knew it was I knew it was in Elvish. Yeah, so we can find this, I'm sure. There you go. June 31st. You guys have a month to do this. Uh, we believe in you. June 31st doesn't exist, but yes. Oh, June 30th. June 30th. Yeah, you can do it. We believe in you. Jake believes in you. Jake's basically Jake had us develop this entire podcast because he had a dream of dressing as an elf elven elf elven Elvis. Yeah, Elvin Elvis. <laughs> Elvin Elvis. And he needed an excuse to do it. And so yep. we're four years in. He got finally me. decided to pull the trigger, live his dream. His wife will finally be happy. His kids, <laughs> his kids will finally realize what they were born for. There we go. You can make it happen. Only you can prevent for it, forest fires. Only you can make Jake's life actually be complete. Uh, there we go. Right, Jake? Oh, yeah. All right. See you next week, folks.